If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me not to the book of Romans this morning as we take a bit of a break and we focus on the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, our text in just one moment will be verses 36 through verse 38. I welcome every single one of you here this morning to Big Woods Bible Church. It is a joy and especially this time of the year. It's that little town that Pastor Stewart was just talking to the kids about, Bethlehem. I don't know if you know or not, but Bethlehem is no longer a little town. It's actually quite a bustling city in the West Bank in Israel. You know our kids live and serve in that area. And just yesterday, as a matter of fact, I was speaking, we were FaceTiming with Levi, who had just been in Bethlehem yesterday, yesterday morning. And, and so Pop-Pop and Mimi are quizzing him. He's two and a half. Levi, who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus! And we're like amazed, like this brilliant theologian. And Levi, before we said any further, did Jesus play in the giant bounce house that I played in too? You know... I think at some level, that's kind of like this Bethlehem and Christmas. But there's this craziness to it. And we're going to kind of just slow the pace down here this morning, but even over the next couple weeks. So much the Lord is doing right here. And we are grateful for his amazing provision. Don't race out as we celebrate. Finish strong. We have some cake for you afterwards. Wonderful, wonderful evening, weekend as our outreach and our um, display of lights was going on. I encourage you, if you have not signed up to serve, do that. I had like a blast last evening directing cars. I had 19 hot chocolates. It was like a wonderful, wonderful evening to be together to serve. But in the midst of all of this busyness, there's a moment to kind of quiet it. And that's what we want to do this morning, particularly with this, this message of, I want to direct our attention to the hope, to the hope that is offered this time of year through the message we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dive into his word. Father, we love you we thank you so much for the privilege you've given to us to gather in your house on your day. We thank you for this time of the year that we pause and we reflect and remember, we commemorate and celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, King Jesus, the Savior of the world. Father, but in the midst of that, I know that there's people that are hurting and aching that are sick, that are struggling, that are lonely. And God, I would ask that your spirit it is only your spirit through the ministry of your word that can encourage and lift and surround, support and strengthen. Father, please do that. We need a word from you. I, I need a word from you this morning. We just pray, Lord, that you'd give clarity of thought and mind and speech and that you would be glorified. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. 
kind of scanning around, I have sensed, um, in all honesty, a weariness amongst us. Not just within this body, but a weariness, in a sense, with our society as a whole. A weariness that I believe, in all honesty, is so great. I've never witnessed more exhausted and frustrated people in my life than than the season that we are in right now. And there's nothing wrong. Let me just say there's nothing wrong with being weary. Remember, God incarnate, Jesus himself, felt weariness and exhaustion. He suffered under the weight and burden as he too was surrounded, just like we are, with the brokenness of this world. And so my my goal this morning and over the next couple weeks is not only just to acknowledge this, but to address it, but address it this morning specifically with a hope and an expectation of God. That God is always good to his word, that he can and he will. Let me tell you this, he will carry your burden. You see, there's a hope, and we know that, but much of what is celebrated at Christmas, and kind of think about what's happening amidst the hustle and the bustle and the cookies and the tinsel and the presents and the shopping and the stockings hung by the chimney with care, there's much that is just missed. It's just missed. There's a togetherness. There's traditions, but many... Many, I would even dare say most, are not seeking, they're not seeing the baby in the manger. It seems as if everyone delights in this season, in the sights and the smells and the sounds, but they are missing the hope that is offered to the whole world. They're missing the hope. Now, I I don't want any pointing of fingers. Don't don't point to the person next to you. But I want to ask you, pause for a moment and just think of you, your own personal. Your time and your attention. If you could somehow separate and measure out the minutes and the hours and the dollars and the demands that you have sought to manage well as we prepare for this Christmas season. Just yourself, may I ask you, have you given much thought to the desperate need of the undying souls that surround you? When we hear that, we automatically think about, well, well, we know that our physical bodies die, but within each, every person, there's an undying soul. And we hear that and we're like, oh shoot, I forgot. My neighbor, that's true. And so we put our neighbor on our list. And so we begin to think, okay, remember the cranberry juice, the walnuts, the honey ham, the tangerine. And I got to remind my neighbor to come out to the light show. No, no, no it's, it's a display of lights. I've got to remember that. I've got to tell them about Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world. And, and we put that neighbor on the list. Check. Therefore, that's just not going to cut it. That's why we need times like this. We, we, need, we need truth like this. I read one author this week. Her name is Megan Hill, who reminded us, and I quote, We need better company we need better company and she's not she's not 
dissing the people that we hang with. You know what she's doing? She is suggesting we need to spend more time with the saints of the scriptures. We need to hang out with those that are mentioned in the Holy Writ. Let me, let me do that for you this morning by introducing you to a woman whose name is Anna. Anna, a prophetess, a woman who functioned in the office of a prophet in Luke chapter 2. Pick it up with me. The words will be in front of you through verse 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then, as a widow... Until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. At that very hour... Well, what hour is that? Just before what? A faithful, godly, spirit-filled man, Simeon, had just said, as a little 40-day-old baby was brought into the temple, Simeon said, that's the one. That little baby, that's the one at this hour. At the precise moment. The office of a prophet was what? It's for a limited time. It's not forthtelling, it's foretelling. And so the specific purpose of a specific time is the same for a woman who was given the responsibility. A limited window. Notice the precision of timing is always perfect, particularly throughout the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, in the sixth month, in those days, Mary arose and went haste. Now the time came for Elizabeth. In those days, there was a decree that went out. And when the time came, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Everything is always a precision, a precise, a perfect moment when it comes to God's unfurling plan to redeem mankind. Perfectly planned. So what is this? We have an old woman. I want to be careful here. I can be a, a, a woman who is older, a woman who is more mature. She's 84 years old. We're given indication that she was married only for seven years before her husband died, and she's been a widow ever since. Let's, let's think for a moment. Generally, women were married younger then. Let's say 17. Married seven years, that's 24. Do some simple math. She's 84, which means what? For 60 years. 60 years, this woman has been by herself as a widow. And it says that she spent almost every single waking moment in the temple. It says that she did not depart. Another translation says that she lived there. Faithful. Oh my goodness. Faithful, worshiping with fasting, praying night and day, and yet thankfully it's this woman and others with her, friends perhaps, 
Maybe some family members who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Can you imagine the excitement when in walks little Mary, young Mary, and her big, strong, strapping husband, Carpenter Joseph, and they are holding a 40-day-old baby who at this time, what, is coming to the temple to be dedicated. And Simeon says, that's the one. Can you imagine the excitement that Anna experienced? It's that type of eager expectation of waiting that brings hope. Now, now waiting is hard for us. I hate to wait. You know that. I tell you that all the time. Waiting, waiting however, is not doing nothing. Waiting always comes with what? A purpose or a sense of expectation. I ordered it from Amazon. I've got the tracking number. I'm tracking the package. And I'm waiting. Where's the FedEx truck? What's with UPS anyway? They said, they said it's on its way. And there's a sense of expectation. I'm waiting in line to see the movie, to get on the roller coaster. We do this all the time. I'm counting the days to vacation, to, to graduation, to a celebration. I'm waiting on some good news. I'm waiting on any news. Matter of fact, sometimes you and I get so excited, we actually use this term, I can't wait. I can't wait. Which means what? Like there is so much bursting inside of us, I can't handle this any longer. I can't wait we're all going to be together. I can't wait we're going to open our gifts. There's this type of eager expectation that brings a sense of hope. And that is exactly what's described here with Anna. Unlike many other Jews who had just given up. There's a small band of believers that continue to arrive. They continue to show up. And they had not stopped looking for the promised Messiah. Despite the fact that it had literally been hundreds of years of silence. They are being oppressed under Roman rule and occupation. Her husband is dead. She's by herself and yet she remains faithful going to the temple to worship. And pray eagerly expecting the one. The only one who would redeem Israel from all their iniquities. The psalmist writes. Now why is this so important? Number one, because there is a hope in darkness. And we have to hold on to that right now. Number one, there is a hope in darkness. I want to direct your words, your, your attention to the words from the prophet Isaiah. Just one verse in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 11. And it says this, the word of the Lord. And the Lord will guide you. Pandemic. And the Lord will guide you. Continually. And satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I have very little doubt that some of the words that kept Anna the prophetess going, some, some of the words that kept Anna encouraged and expectant 
were these exact words from the prophet. What? She'd call him probably great uncle Isaiah. You know, my great uncle Isaiah. Now, if you think of it for a moment, if Isaiah, who, do the, do the math, 600 years, 600 years prior to Anna, if Isaiah is describing his present surroundings, the condition, the cultural, and the spiritual needs surrounding him as a scorched place. Isaiah is describing it as a scorched place. How much more dark is it in Anna's day? How much more desperate must it be in Anna's day? And yet you and I know that in the darkest of times, it demands that we hold on to the greatest of hope. Can I be honest? It's been some dark times for our country, for families within us. Think for a moment if, if all too often we assume that, that the Lord says, and we hold on to Psalm chapter 23, and we all know this, that we assume it's only in green pastures that he makes us lie down. It's, it's only beside still waters that he leads us. Now, ultimately, we know that's, that's, our, that's our ultimate destination. But until then, you and I are going to travel through some scorched places. And, and Scripture has not hidden any of this from us before. There's no lack of description throughout the Word of God that speaks of what? Fiery trials. It, we use terms and we read fiery darts flung at you. Fiery furnaces that people will go through. Overwhelming storms. We hear that time. We hear this term, divers temptations. The, the psalmist David describes moments when the enemy awaits. The apostle Peter writes of the enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion. The Messiah, Jesus himself, says what? You want to follow me? You're going to get ready to suffer. It's going to hurt. You want to be faithful to me? Then you're going to be hated by many people in this world. It's scorched. World War II. History tells us of what? Scorched earth policy. If you know anything about history, what is that? That's when the enemy comes in and literally they destroy everything. They take it all out. Water supply, destroy it. Food stores, destroyed. Civilians, uh, destroyed. So, so horrible is scorched earth policy. In 1977, the Geneva Convention actually outlawed it. Like, you're, in war, you're not even allowed to use this scorched earth idea. And that's exactly the tactic that the enemy today, Satan, is desiring to do amongst, certainly, our community and our country and the world abound, around us. Just think for a moment of, of those just in our own body or in our own community. How, how many people have suffered and presently? How many people have suffered this past year? Those of you that have faced sickness and surgeries and brain tumors. Those within our own body who have struggled with disease and death. People that have lost loved ones. A wife has lost her husband. A son has lost his father and his mother. From cancer to COVID, from hardship to heartache, people have lost their jobs. People have lost their livelihood. 
Churches are arguing and fighting amongst themselves. Families, get this, families have been fighting over the silliness of a mask or a medicine. These, these times of trials and testing are incredibly painful. And they can be even more intensely felt at what? Hey, it's time for Christmas. Merry Christmas. Actually, those moments can be the most painful for people. And yet what? It is only, it is only, it is only the Lord who can walk beside us. And strengthen us and comfort us. Not, not only giving us the strength within our suffering, but promising to journey with us. Not, not remove us from it, but he'll be there with us. And you know it. Long nights. A sense of exhaustion by people. And yet, in the midst of exhaustion, more people are struggling with sleeping than ever before. Sleepless nights. Hard conversations people have had to have. And there's been tears and anger and frustration. And there's this sense of what? I'm just totally frazzled and weary and worn. Barren, dry, scorched earth, scorched places. This is the moment. We must cry out to him. You must cry out to him. We don't lose sight. We don't, we don't give up. We don't lose hope. Don't think for a moment that this is it. What surrounds us is all there is. Don't, don't ever believe that. That's what the world tells you. That's not the truth. Listen very carefully. I think the best, I think the, the, the best surprise is at the end of this verse. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. In scorched places, we don't just survive. Instead, God actually, God actually promises us, promises to make us a spring that overflows. So not, not only are we refreshed and are we encouraged, but do you realize that God can design us in this moment to be an encouragement to others? I, I count it. I actually count it. I got my little calculator and calendar. 631 days. 631 days. It was Evan and Amanda's wedding weekend. And I, and I remember it's at that moment where we begin to hear like, yeah, they're shutting things down and there's like sickness and we don't know what's going on and what's a travel ban? 631 days. And since that time, I do not think it's an exaggeration to say that, that at least a hundred, if not more, I have directed people to a particular verse. Matter of fact, this morning, I have a professor, a mentor, a former baseball coach, who, who will text me on Sunday mornings and he will remind me that he's praying as I'm preaching. And Coach Golf this morning texted me this very verse that is written right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Literally, dozens upon dozens. I've either, I've either quoted it to families, or I've opened my little 
Bible and read it to them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Here it is. Who comforts us in our affliction so that we can be a comfort to those in any affliction. There's a plan that is being unfurled here before us. Paul continues on. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering... We actually identify with Christ. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort, too. People, in, in weary times, first and foremost, understand that there is what? There, there, there's a need here. That there is a purpose of our pain. And we are to be comforted by the presence of God himself. During this season specifically, we are have. We've been given an opportunity to share of the hope that many people are missing, that we have. Now, why is that important? Secondly, and finally, because there is a hope that delights. There is a hope that delights. Again, I'm going to go back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35. Listen to this promise from verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Virtually all of Isaiah chapter 35, the whole chapter, is filled with this tone of be glad, rejoice, rejoice with joy. And, it, and it, it's an instruction to rejoice because it speaks of the fact that God's people who have been shackled in slavery, they've suffered bondage and pain, they've been held captive, they've been led through the wilderness of freedom to the promised land only to what? To only have that destroyed again and be brought into captivity again. Darkness upon darkness, but it's this chapter, Isaiah 35, that speaks of their final homecoming. As one commentator writes, is through a glorious abundance exploding with joy. A glorious abundance exploding with joy. Now think at, at some level, Christmas is supposed to be, what? A season of laughter. Christmas is supposed to be a time where we smile. And, and there's things connected or associated with, like, let's have a party here. There's reason to celebrate. It should be that. And yet, for many, it's been a, t a time of pain and painful memories and shattered moments. And brokenness and exhaustion and that weariness again. A, a French wine merchant. He was also a poet. His name is Placide Capoe who is really not even a particularly religious man at all. So think about this guy. He's a wine merchant who's writing poetry, who's not a Christian. And in 1843, he was asked to write a Christmas poem to celebrate the recent renovation of the church organ. So it's like, we're going to have a party. The broken organ has been fixed. Who can, who can write something cool? I, I know a guy. He sells some great wine, and he's doing some good poetry at the same time. And so, so finally, after what? Years of a broken organ, years of silence, 
that silence one night is broken as everyone gathers around this time of the year. And Capot wrote, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. Soon after, a composer, Adolf Adam, put that poem to music and it has become one of the most memorable and probably one of the most beloved Christmas songs today. Oh, holy night. But it's that one word that I think describes us right now. The weary. The weary world rejoices. Weary is a pretty accurate description that you and I can quickly relate. I could say one word right now. Omicron. You use the word Delta variant. And what's our response? I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this. I am so sick of this. I am so tired of this. I am exhausted and worn. You're not alone. Okay, I'm, I'm right with you. Brett McCracken wrote in a little devotional Advent book a very short chapter, and I love, I love the title of his chapter. It was called Sigh No More. Sigh No More. And he very accurately describes the fact, look around, the sorrow is everywhere. In the, in the headlines that kind of come across your news feed, like every day, a week, yet one more kid goes into a school and, and shoots the place up. And it's just a weariness, a numbness. And he describes the, the sickness that we hear. I get another word last night. Dear Janet Newman is now sick with COVID. And we need to be praying for that. And it's, it's one more and we're exhausted. The temptation that we face of our sin. Hey, let's, let's just have a moment to escape. And in that temptation of sin, it leaves us feeling frustrated and defeated and hopeless. Not only is sorrow everywhere, but sighing is everywhere. We sigh at the exhausting pace of life and the responsibilities and the work demands. I can't finish everything and the day's over. And I have to get up and I have to do it all again tomorrow. We sigh at the foolishness that we see around us, particularly on social media. And people are getting angry as a result of that. We sigh at the sin that creeps into our own lives and wreaks havoc. We go to the gas station and we sigh. We go to the grocery store and we sigh. Or schools, hospitals, and we just sigh. Now, 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 right now, this minute, this day, early December 2021, 631 days into this, we need a hope. Listen to this. The Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain. This is a promise. God is good to his word. You can, you can go to the bank on that. They shall obtain gladness 
and joy. If you underline in your Bible, if you highlight in your Bible, mine are always all written up, underlying these words, this phrase, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Oh, oh praise God for that. Praise God for that. When, when you know the Lord, you, you, you can trust the Lord. You, you know for certain, regardless of how many sighs or how long the sighs or how frequent the sighs, you can know that your sighing will turn into singing. And if, if you don't know that, then, then you have witnessed exactly what I have witnessed. I have seen more angry people than I've ever witnessed before. I, I've heard more vile things come out from people's mouths than I've ever heard before. Listen to people in our community who don't know Jesus and the hope that is offered to the Savior of the worlds. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, and, and you feel that that sign is turning into an anger, then, then today you can... You can know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He, he came to offer hope to redeem us from our sinfulness. He paid the price on the cross. He died. He took the punishment that I deserved. He bore the full weight of his Father's wrath pressed down upon him so you and I can be declared righteous, justified in the sight of a holy God, brought into relationship. This morning... This very morning, I don't care how many mistakes, how many screw-ups you've made. I don't care about the things that have come out of your mouth or the frustration or the anger or the private, dangerous little ways you're trying to deal with the sighing that is going on. Today, you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to invite him to be your Lord. Well, I don't know how to do this. It sounds like this. I invite you, Lord, to be Lord. Reigns. The Lord has authority. Like our plan, yeah, not working real great. I invite you today, Lord, to be Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian and you've been struggling in ways and you have done things or you've said things that you regret. Then, then I would encourage you to confess that before the Lord today. The next time that we see that feed that races across and a sigh comes out, confess your anger and your frustration to the Lord. If you've hurt someone or offended someone, go to them. Go directly and immediately to them. I, I, think, I, I think I bit your head off, and, and it sounded rude, and I didn't mean to. You forgive me. That's, that's demonstrating. Just pause for a moment and ask, what, what places of your life have been scorched and burned in our barren? What, what size? Are you experiencing right now in your workplace, in your family relationship, in your marriage, in the connection with your kids? What size are you experiencing? How is, how is the promise, if you pause for a moment, how is the presence and the power of God in the midst of these trials affected you? Has it affected you? And, and just stop. We need times in truth like this. Take time to hope. Take time to meditate and to reflect on the future.
that is described what? When sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I remember, and I'm probably, I don't hide, you know, I don't like, I wear my emotions on my shoulder and I try, I try but it just doesn't work. And I remember being outside. And, and I just love being outside with planes and trucks and cars. And people, we're doing the best that we can. And it was actually last summer that I preached a little series through 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. And, and I remember that's, that's the hope that we have to have. Let me leave you with these words from that series. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self, take a look, it's wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And I love this phrase, for this light momentary affliction. Paul's writing these words. Paul who has been cut and bruised and beat and imprisoned and shipwrecked run out of every single town. And Paul himself says this light, momentary affliction. See what's happening here today is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond comparison. Have hope in that today. Father, we need you. May you work amongst us however you see fit. I pray for people that are at the end of their rope. Where there's a weariness. And today, Lord, I ask with all of the authority of your word, the presence of your spirit amongst us and within us, please renew and refresh and restore the, the memory and the reminder the excitement, and the expectation of the hope that comes through Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.